This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about embracing the journey in a world forever changed. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. For the past two weeks, my family and I have been shut up in our house, recovering from COVID. Yes, it finally got us. We're doing okay and no one has been deathly ill. But there's been so much about this time that has brought me back to those early pandemic days. Our house suddenly feeling too small, the kids home from school, trying to work without completely neglecting them, the undercurrent of irritation we all feel at the messes that seem to erupt spontaneously from every surface on the kitchen table or floor, the constant policing of kids on screen sneaking in Jago when they're supposed to be reading books on Clever. All of these are challenges that we've learned to see as normal, the same way wearing masks or swabbing our noses or taking meetings through a computer screen have become normal. But the experience of this recent self-imposed lockdown also felt distinctly different because unlike March of 2020, life in 2022 has marched on and we've had to do our best to keep up. This past week alone, I've had meetings with potential sponsors and networks, interviews with other podcasts, presentations for the audio community, and with our Kasama Labs podcasting course starting next month and registration ending on January 31st, we can't afford to stop. Our ability to continue in the future depends on our ability to endure the present. The more I've thought about this, the more I've realized that it isn't just that life is different now. We are different. When those COVID tests came back positive, we all just shrugged and accepted quarantine the way Minnesotans accept winter. You know it's coming and there's not much you can do about it. So you make the necessary adjustments, pull out your long underwear and sweaters, and carry on. Growing up in Minnesota, I never liked winter. I still don't like winter. It's the chief reason that 18 years after moving to California, I still haven't moved back. But I have to honor and respect winter and the people who weather it regularly. The real heroes of winter even learn to embrace it. There's a certain hardiness that comes with learning to endure that much cold. You learn where to conserve your energy, what precautions to take, how to plan ahead so you don't get stuck on the side of the road in sub-zero temperatures with no gas in the car. You learn that there's an upside to hibernation, that the versions of yourself that get unlocked by winter are different from the ones that revive in summer, that living in seasons can be good. Most of all, you learn to love spring. Living in this pandemic has often felt like one long, endless winter. Few among us have truly embraced it, but we've learned to tolerate it, to adjust and take the necessary precautions and carry on. We've become hardier in a way, more adaptable than we ever thought we could be. That's not to say that these changes have been easy. They've come at great cost. I don't take lightly the lives we've lost to this virus or the industries that have been flattened by the world shutting down, the relationships that have been strained or even severed during this time. Winter is still brutal, no matter how normal it becomes. There are always those who don't survive its weather. Few among us truly love it. Those dark months of winter never seem to end soon enough. But for all of us, this pandemic winter has drawn a solid line through our lives. There's life before COVID-19 and life after. We all have two lives. The second begins the moment we realize we have only one. 
These are the words you see when you go to the website for Two Lives, a podcast about people who face darkness and how those incidents change the trajectory of their lives. I've been thinking about my own two lives a lot lately, how the moment I realized I had only one came on the day that I started Shelter in Place. So today, I'm sharing my conversation with Laurel Morales, the host and creator of Two Lives. Laurel is someone I never would have met if not for the pandemic. We've never met in person, but we became friends over a year ago when we connected over the phone. Laurel was a reporter with NPR and public radio for 20 years before she started Two Lives. In that time, she's won national awards for her reporting and writing, and her work has appeared everywhere from Science Friday to Marketplace to the BBC. She says that what she's trying to do with the podcast, what she's always been doing with radio, is to conjure creatures, whole worlds even, that transport us. Laurel and I connected again in late December. In the conversation you're about to hear, Laurel and I talk about our own two lives, how the work we're doing now has shaped us, and why we need two lives to live the one that we have now. When you're done listening, I hope you'll subscribe to Two Lives and leave a rating and review for both Two Lives and Shelter in Place on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, or any place you listen. Most of all, I hope that listening will inspire and encourage you as you think about your own two lives and how you want to live the life that you have in the coming year. My name is Laurel Morales, and I am Laura Joyce Davis. I am the creator of Two Lives, stories of people who have faced some kind of darkness and how those moments transform them in surprising ways. And I'm the host and creator of Shelter in Place, which is a podcast that started with the pandemic, but very quickly became about reimagining life through creativity and community. My favorite episodes are the ones I learn from and the ones that make me both laugh and cry. Jake Bacon is someone who comes to mind. He's a local photographer who rescues wild animals until one threatens his life. Ross Schaefer Altenbaugh is another one who could be a stand-up comedian. She shares a very traumatic experience, but one of the ways she deals with her trauma is through humor. You mentioned how you love when episodes make you laugh and cry. I loved your October 5th episode, author Carol Smith finds her way back across the river. This episode opens with her talking about her son that she lost. Mm -hmm. And I did both in like the first, I don't know, five or 10 minutes of the episode. It was very quick. But I thought you did a really artful job of holding that tension of really hard things. And then these really light, beautiful moments, too, that connect us to people. Carol is a beautiful writer, and her book, The Crossing the River, is a wonderful, wonderful read. The episodes that I learned a lot from, Dwayne Coyawena, he's a Hopi artist, Dylan Wilder-Quinn and Jenny Pearl, and Scott Stabile who has written a beautiful book and is a wonderful storyteller. Also makes me laugh and cry, but just has lots of wisdom to share. Yeah, I was thinking about this and I've realized that my favorites kind of fall into two categories. One is the ones that just end up being a lot of fun. And you mentioned humor. I'm a very earnest person. Funny is not easy for me, but I'm really happy (laughs) when humor happens. We had an episode in season two called Rage Road, 
one of our Kasama Collective graduates, Clara Smith, this was her baby, her pitch idea for an episode. And it was all about the open streets movement in New York City during the pandemic, where streets of New York City were shut down for pedestrians and bikers. There's this very prominent scene in the episode where she's talking about this driver who essentially tried to run her off the road. But the music and the sound design that we did it, like it actually was quite funny, even though at the same time, it's this very serious moment. But I love that episode so much because we kind of set up the narrative to achieve humor and at the same time, let the gravity of that moment land. And then the other category for the episodes that I love, I was realizing are the ones that end up being really challenging to write. Like the ones that I wrestle with because I feel like I'm living that moment as I work Mm. on the episode. There was one from season three called Stuck on the Staircase. And it's all about languishing. As I was writing that episode, I was realizing I was languishing. And so I was having a very, very hard time. And yet the times when I've been able to push through that resistance in myself... A lot of times those end up being the episodes that I'm actually most proud of because I got somewhere personally. It's always hard work to get there, but it can be really rewarding to feel like, okay, this isn't just entertainment. It's actually something that's changing my life as I interact with this art form. Some of the favorite episodes of yours that I loved, I had a few. And I think what I like in general about the podcast is it's like reconnecting with an old friend and being able to talk about the really hard things. You had a few episodes about distance learning, but being able to just commiserate was just really helpful. Shut Up and Listen was a really powerful episode And then most recently, I've enjoyed A Better Age. And as a former public radio reporter, I always try to look for voices that we don't often hear from. And I just loved hearing from different generations and what they had to say. I even wrote down a quote that I loved. It's a portal to experience different worlds. I think that's one of the best parts of our job is being able to talk to people that we might not normally approach. Yeah, I agree. It's one of my favorite parts of doing this is just the amazing people that you get to meet and talk with. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. If you're a writer who would like to start podcasting or a podcaster who wants to master the art and science of audio storytelling, I want to let you know about our Kasama Labs, where we pull back the curtain on our podcast production process and share how we became an award-winning podcast in the top 1% globally. And then we give you a complete tool set to create your own narrative podcast. You can sign up and find previews for all 16 modules at shelterinplacepodcast.org. How many episodes have you created and how many guests approximately have you interviewed? Over the last year, year and a half, really, it's been mostly me producing, interviewing, and doing all the things. As my husband says, you do the job of, like, five people. I did hire a story editor who I find essential. She's been wonderful. Camila Kerwin of the Rough Cut Collective. But I have produced 20 episodes. I'm working on a fourth season of seven or eight more episodes through those episodes interviewed probably twice as many maybe three times as many people 
each story is highly produced and scripted and sound designed. And so, as you know, that all takes time. So I've taken some breaks in between seasons to get it. Well, nothing's ever perfect, but it's my best. Better done than perfect, as a good friend of mine often says. And I have to tell myself that all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. The more you do this the more you actually learn, you have higher standards for yourself. I mean, I don't know if you've found that, but I've definitely found each season, it's like the bar goes up of, oh, now I know how to do this a little better than I did last season. Yeah. And so the standard is higher and sometimes it needs to be just done yeah. <laughs> to the next episode. How many episodes have you produced? We had a hundred episodes in season one, and I think it was about 37 in season two, it has been somewhere in the ballpark of 170 or 180. I need to officially count because that would That's be a good amazing. number for me to know, but it's a little nuts. What's something that you know now that you wish you had known when you started podcasting? Well, something actually you told me, I believe, that I still had to go and learn the hard way. If I'm asking for a favor, only ask for one thing <laughs> of each person. Something I think is good to know if you're starting to podcast is invest in people mm -hmm. that can help you and don't be afraid to ask for help. How about you, Laura? What is something that you've learned that you didn't know when you started podcasting? I mean, so many things. I don't have a lot of regrets because I feel like so much of what I've learned is that the process is part of the story. I had no idea how hard I'd work to just create episodes, let alone all the other pieces. I don't know that it would have changed anything for me, but I recently, maybe six months ago or so, heard some advice from Lauren Passell, who I really enjoy her podcast, The Newsletter, and she's come to speak with our Kosama Collective third cohort recently. And I think she said something like, you should spend 50% of your time on podcast creation and 50% of your time on podcast marketing. And I will tell you, I have never, ever, ever come close to 50% on the marketing and promotion side because I care so much about crafting great episodes. Like, I can't not care about that. And I think that's the fiction writer in me that I just can't let go of the creative process being hands down the most important thing. And I don't regret that because I'm very proud of the work we've done. But I do think that if I had been able to carve out either time or if I'd had the money to hire somebody to help me with that, it probably would have made a difference in terms of making this work more financially feasible. You hear a lot from people like, oh, podcasting is so lucrative and you can make money so easily. And I have not found that to be the case. I mean, we're slowly getting there. But even after winning an award and we learned we're in the top 1% globally, which is really exciting. And you would think that that means you would be making money automatically. And that is not how it works. That marketing and promotions and monetizing piece, I mean, it's like a whole job. And I still feel like I'm probably never going to be that person who spends 50% of my time on it because there's only one of me. I mean, just seeing all of the content that you're putting out, the newsletter, in addition to 
to a weekly podcast. I'm amazed. And the the mentorship and the education that you're doing. I don't know how you do it. You're a hard worker. Well, I will tell you, like, I am at a point right now where I'm like, I need this year to be over because I need to rest. But I also think, you know, my husband has done this work with me since the end of season one. I think it helped that we both went into this thinking of it as a startup and being realistic about, okay, in a startup, you're going to work really, really hard for probably at least two years before you Mm -hmm. see any financial return. And I do think having that mindset has helped knowing this is not something that we can do in this way forever. You know, being realistic about, yeah, we're just in a busy season and we know that and we accept that. But with the mentorship side of things, it was really never about money and it was just about finding satisfaction in the work. When we launched the Kasama Collective almost exactly a year ago, that whole thing came out of the realization that downloads were never going to be satisfying. Even when we had the big spike in downloads, even then, it's so fickle and fleeting. And the next week, it's like, why aren't people listening? And we just realized that if we were going to keep doing this work, there has to be something in it that's bigger than us. And being able to pass on what I've learned, what we've learned together to our trainees felt like something that was bigger than us and that was bigger than the podcast and hopefully launches these women and non-binary audio storytellers to go on and do their own thing. And, you know, whether that's in podcasting or something else, that if they have grown and been invested in creatively and personally, that's a gift that hopefully will serve them the rest of their life. I think real mentorship is really rare. For me, it's what people keep telling me is that these stories are meaningful to them. And I know that they're meaningful to me. I learn about myself through each story. The most meaningful feedback I've received is when people said, you know, I was going through a hard time. I found your podcast and it helped me through. And I think you could say the same thing for shelter in place. Mm I think our shows have sort of a kindred spirit in that way. And I felt that from the beginning, even from, I think, our first conversation. I really appreciate the work you're doing. And yeah, it's like, I think we need stories and people to tether us to hope. So Two Lives, the name of the podcast comes from a quote by Confucius, who said, we're all given two lives. The second begins the moment we realize we have only one. And so I ask everyone that I'm interviewing what that means for them. And so what does that mean for you, Laura? I had a life that was before March 17th, 2020, and then the one that's happened since. And in the life before, I didn't have a bad life. I have three kids who I really love and appreciate and adore. My husband had a full-time job that seemed like it was going to be a stable thing for a long time. You know, we had a life here in the Bay Area that we really loved. It wasn't perfect, but there was a lot to be grateful for. And yet, for many years, even before I became a mom, but I think especially once I became a mom, I just didn't feel content in the life I was in. And I tried really, really hard to be content and to be grateful. I think I just, I was not cut out to be a full-time stay-at-home mom, which I did for a lot of years. I'd write sort of in the margins of that, or I'd have like one day of childcare that I would write frantically for that day. And then when the pandemic came, you know, sort of by accident almost, my husband and I just flipped roles overnight. 
And in the beginning, it was because we thought we were just doing this for two weeks. And I had this idea of doing a daily podcast and I thought it would be so easy and quick. And I do it all in an hour a day and you know, ha ha ha. We all know how that one went. But two weeks in, my husband lost his job. And like many people at the time, his industry just kind of disappeared overnight. Because of that, and because the pandemic continued, and because in doing this work, I was finding a part of myself that maybe had always been there, but I just had not been able to be connected to before creatively and personally, I suddenly had a way to grapple with the moment that we were in, in real time, in the way that made the most sense to me and my writer brain. Writing is how I show up best in the world. The things that come into these episodes, it's the real me. It's not like you're getting a fake version of Laura. I'm really honest about how much I struggle. And I hope that in sharing that, that people can feel like they're not alone if they're struggling. And also, like, we don't have to sit in the hopelessness, even if life does sometimes feel hopeless. I do think that this moment that we're living in right now it's not the same as it was a year ago. And yet, I think there's just sort of an enduring exhaustion in our world right now. A lot of shelter in place has been looking at the old way, the old normal, looking at the new normal, and then saying, is there a third way? Is there actually something we haven't tapped into yet? And is it possible for us to not dismiss the hard things, but also not sink in them? That's the paradox of living, right? Can we figure out ways to be connected and hopeful even as we're maybe grieving? I wanna ask you that question. I feel like I've had two lives in different areas of, of my life, if that makes sense. Like career-wise, leaving public radio and embracing this new world of podcasting and creating my own show. There's a before and after there for sure. It took me five years to leave my regular public radio job. And part of that is tied to some, you know, emotional two lives, believing that I'm worth it. And my husband and I had budgeted and it all looked good on paper, but it still took me some time to accept that. And that comes from some childhood stuff that I'm working through with a wonderful therapist. The episodes that I've produced range from like a near-death experience to addiction to depression to lots of different darkness. You know, they all sort of fall under that category of darkness. I've had a couple of close calls that I think shook me up. One in particular when I was debating whether or not to go into podcasting was I was on assignment for a story for NPR and coming home tired glanced at my phone and looked up and I almost crashed into a rock wall. And so it was at that moment and and thinking about, you know, what example I want to leave for my daughters in terms of doing something I really love. And thankfully, my last public radio job, they had given me the space to create a couple of limited run podcasts. So I knew it was something I really wanted to do. There wasn't a scratch on me or my car and it was just a close call. But it wasn't until that moment where I'm sweating, heart pounding, pulled over at the side of the road going, okay, if this life is a short one, I need to make the most of it. Two Lives kicks off next week with season four. Here's what it sounds like. Growing up mixed race, Charmaine Fury says she never completely fit in. Generally, I got to be black if I was around black people. 
you know, someone might say you won't understand because you're not all the way black. I didn't necessarily get to be Japanese around Japanese people. And despite having two white grandparents, I was never a white person. So that meant finding home was hard. That's coming up in season four of Two Lives. You can find Two Lives wherever you get podcasts or at twolives.org. That's the number two, L-I-V-E-S dot org.